passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors is everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. From superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED lights, and more, whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Rewind the dynamite from the most recent sight. AEW, lighting up the fuse. Sit back and enjoy the bubbly. As we hear from John and Waiting. Where we're going, we don't need roads. And if the bug stops here, this thing might blow. Everything you hear, opinions of the show. And if you don't like it, go to the forums and let them know. Let him know. It's John Pollock and Wei Ting. Hey, John. Hi. You're going gonna to do the rest of the song? No, I'm not going to do the rest <laughs> of the song. I could barely do that part. It is Wednesday night. Dynamite is done. My basement is dry. So Ooh. John Pollock's in a wonderful mood, unlike last week. So uh, it's great. Cause for celebration. Yes. I don't know what to make of this, but now uh, I got a knock on my door the other day and the city, I needed to move my car because they've got to do, they had to go into the sewer and our car was like over top where they needed to work on. So move my car. And so now it's, you've been on our street. Parking mm-hmm. is uh, pretty tough in the best of times. So now they have just piloned off like the equivalent of like three to four parking spots. So we're all kind of, there, there was no work to be done today. So I don't know what's going on. I don't know if it's related to my issue because another neighbor also had a, uh, had a, um, a drain issue as well. So this is what's going on, Way. This is, this is the tea that I'm spilling so, from my street. So what are you going to, are you going to move or something? Like, you know, it's time to get out. It sounds like I'm have you had one. enough. You know what? I, I like this neighborhood. I truly do, but it wouldn't, it's, it's got its, um, it's got its good and its bad as you can, exp- uh, appreciate as a homeowner now. I'm sure there's yeah. parts of your house that are like, you know, some parts are, it's a steal that you got this. Other things are things you have to make compromises on. Yeah. I'm sorry to hear that. Um, it's all good. Uh, you know, what are you going to do? I think you have a wonderful house. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Very, um, very well kept, uh, well worked on backyard. I've I always bring up your backyard. I think it's um, I, I I'm envious. I'm envious. My my dad designed it. He's he works in uh, landscaping and designs decks. So yeah, thank could you. He, could, you said that. could he come over and increase the size of my uh my backyard? Does he do that? Um, you already have a pretty nice you know backyard area. It's nice. So. I do like it. It's a, it's a nice area, especially have people over. Yeah, for kids, it's very small. It's it's just it's not it's not a it's not a large playing area. Incentive to, you know, go to the park. And there are some nice parks out. in the area. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Maybe I should run for mayor of Toronto. Should and then I? would you fix some of these issues? I'd get down to it. Yeah. Yeah. I'd start with uh, drainage issues. I'd have in a pro- lot to uh, get. I'd have, I'd have a lot of work to do, I think. Well, it's there's a vacancy right now, so maybe you should. Okay. Well, I'll, I'll discuss it with you off air. I'm, <laughs> I'm contemplating it. 
Tonight, we are going to be talking about Dynamite from the Footprint Center in Phoenix, Arizona, and as well, what is coming up uh, this weekend. A lot of, uh, a lot of big stuff to look forward to. But off the top, wait, I am still, uh, I'm still looking back at that Keiji Muto retirement show. I really enjoyed this show and I, that, that hour, that hour of Muto's farewell, I thought was so well done. And now a day removed since we talked about it, your, your reaction to it, it definitely, uh, raised the, uh, it it was, it was fun to talk to you about it because I think you and Mm -hmm. I both had similar conclusions. It was probably the most, uh, the deepest we've gone into a match recently in terms of its significance, its meaning. And I, I was not expecting to enjoy this Mudo retirement as much as I did on Tuesday. You know, John, like you and I were going into this show, uh, very much looking forward to, I think, the, the show itself and in particular, you know, Kazuchiko Okada versus Kaito Kiyomiya. And for me, my curiosity in the main event, Keiji Muda's retirement against Tatsuya Naito, was more so about like me hoping that it wasn't going to be a train wreck and many parts of, of my, me expecting a train wreck, knowing just the physical state of this man's body. The fact that they were able to not only pull off, I think, a, a pretty good match, you know, considering this guy's, you know, physical health. But to be able to draw that sort of emotion in storytelling using the limitations of this guy's body um, to, to their advantage, really, I thought was spectacular. So I, I couldn't recommend it more enough, and especially the post-match as, as well. Yeah, I mean, you you have to sit down and watch from the second the video for Mudo begins. Uh, it's the one with Frank Sinatra on it, if you're uh, searching through the, uh, the the stream. And all up until the end and the closing image on the screen as Mudo walks to the bag. It's, I don't know, 45 minutes to an hour, but it's all... Um, I just thought it was so well done in a, in an industry that it's very difficult to nail these retirements because... Quite frankly, you're going to push things to, to when you become this big of a star, you're going to push your physical limitations in wrestling because you can. You can always get by. Mudo has been the king of shortcuts for for years, but what he does not lack are his timing and his instincts of when to do the limited things he can still do for maximum reaction with a crowd that was um a large crowd that were all there to bid him farewell and uh what what you got was you know a, a retirement but by the end you were you know at first i think it was almost people half serious that this would be a legitimate retirement and by the end of it you might not believe that you have fully seen the end of Keiji Muto, but you're definitely hoping that this would be the ending because as you said way on our show, there's no topping this. Like this was as well done as Keiji Muto could possibly expect. And quite honestly, I don't know how many other performers that they have done uh, a job like this for. It was very much, you know, reminiscent of, of Ric Flair and Shawn Michaels. You know, it felt like a, going out on the biggest stage possible with a good match, you know, which is, I think, the most that somebody in their 60s can ask for. To be able to main event a stadium show the size of a Tokyo Dome against Tetsuya Naito and to del- deliver an emotional experience, you really cannot ask for more. Um So... You know, we'll see if he sticks to this. I mean, you know, they, they spent the whole year building up to this and it ended fantastically. But, you know, do they continue to respect it? Yeah. You know, John and I haven't necessarily spoken about the post-match yet, but um, I almost don't really want to spoil it for people that haven't seen the show yet. But um, 
it it deserves to be seen. It's it's incredibly heartwarming. Well, if you want our thoughts on the post-match and everything on that card, we reviewed the entire five-hour show that is up at postwrestlingcafe.com as we discuss Keiji Muto's grand final pro wrestling last love holdout exclusively for cafe members. Yeah, that is the official title of this event. And, and we're very, we're very worried about those quotations. Yeah, the last is in quotations, but you know, holdout is, is something that, um, I'm still kind of, kind of confused about what, what exactly is like he's holding out on retirement. Is that the point of including holdout in the title? Um, Kicking and screaming. Although there was no kicking and screaming. By the end, it looked like the man had come to peace with his, uh, his, with his in-ring mortality. Mm-hmm. That was a lot of fun. And, uh, yeah, we actually uploaded a clip, uh, from the reviews talking about a particular spot that John and I were both big fan, fans of, um, over at youtube.com slash post wrestling. So go and check yes. that out if you'd like. Yes. And Way also, uh, covered his, his post-match, uh, comments backstage, which, uh, Whenever you state now, you always have to be worried what this man said um, mm-hmm. after getting the year off to a pretty uh, low low start for uh, for Keiji Muto. But that is all up there as well as uh, Okada, Kiyomiya, and uh, I thought a really fun card. It was It's sort of a sample of all these different companies, some of the standout performers, and you got to see talent from – Obviously from Noah, but DDT, Tokyo Joshi Pro, Dragon Gate, All Japan. It was just a, mi- a mishmash of all these different styles, different performers. I really liked the concept. It was, I was enjoying this card up until the main event. And then you got this retirement, uh, for Naito uh, beating Keiji Muto and then, and then the bonus uh, chapter at the end of the show. So there you go. Check out all of that stuff. Jerry Jarrett, um, there was a memorial service for him on Tuesday in uh, Tennessee, and they ended up posting, uh, I think they live streamed this. They at least uh, put up the video, um, ad-free shows did. So if you want to watch this, uh, you can, uh, similar to the, uh, the Jay Briscoe service last month. Uh, but among the speakers, obviously a very emotional Jeff Jarrett got up, uh, to speak and was, battling through this speech to uh, get it through. He was obviously um, very, very uh, affected by his father's death and looking at himself as well, noting that, you know, back in 2017, he had hit rock bottom when it came to his, uh, his substance abuse and that he had lost his relationship with his wife, with his kids, his friends just put up with him. And finally he got treatment and recited a quote that his father always used and it was essentially this um this poem about never quitting so he he read that he also noted how how well read his father was which was always um something that was noted of jerry jarrett that he always had a book that he was reading and that the man was largely self-taught like he just picked up books and was able to learn all these uh different aspects of uh, of life so it was a very nice speech by by jeff but as well we got dave brown who is the um not just the uh, the classic uh, Memphis broadcaster who was always side uh, side by side with Lance Russell, uh, but also was the famous weatherman in Memphis. And this man, if you could be so lucky for this individual to speak at your funeral service, he gets up and just the the magnetic voice. It's like this man has a voice that the world deserved to hear on a daily basis. I, if I lived in Memphis, I would be going every day just to hear him tell me what the weather is tornado warning it's okay it's coming from dave brown and this guy was just he he was great it was was such a a well done speech um 
like I, I personally, I, I will be conscious of little like, uh, verbal ticks I'll have or pauses. This man is as polished a speaker, a public speaker as you're going to hear. And he talked about, uh, meeting Jerry Jarrett, uh, some, you know, 50 years ago and be, being with him when they were with Nick Goulas on channel 13 and then Jerry Jarrett leaving Goulas and what he needed was Jerry Lawler as the star who was going to go with him. He was able to get a venue because Goulas had the rights to the Mid-South Coliseum. So they went to the Ellis Auditorium and then they needed a, a channel. So at first, the hope was, well, we'll just replace Goulas on Channel 13. But Channel 13 was like, we are not opening ourselves to a lawsuit from Goulas by kicking them off the station. So you're going to have to find another network. So they went in town. They went to the CBS affiliate and sitting down with J- Jared Jarrett and uh, Lance Russell, they're stating, hey, we've got professional wrestling, a show that would go on to have some like 70, 80 shares in the market. And the CBS affiliate said, nah, we're not interested in pro wrestling. So they got turned down. And then they end up going to the NBC affiliate, Channel 5, which would be the home of Continental uh, beginning in 77. And Dave Brown, I had never heard this story. So part of the uh, move was that Lance Russell, he was the station manager at Channel 13, and he was going to be part of the package, and he was going to go to Channel 5. So they're getting this big local personality, and then Dave Brown was going to follow. So apparently in this meeting, when they stated, we can also bring you Lance Russell and Dave Brown, this was news to Dave Brown, who was never told that you're leaving your spot, your post as the weatherman on Channel 13, and you're coming to Channel 5. But uh, once he could wrap up there, he did go to Channel 5. And then in another crazy story was that just a few years ago before the pandemic, Jerry Jarrett called up Dave Brown and said, I'm thinking of getting back into the wrestling business. My wife thinks I'm crazy. What do you think, Dave? And Dave said, I think your wife is right. And he was so happy that Jerry Jarrett did not get back into pro wrestling a couple of years ago, right before the pandemic. Um, the man had the, the man was a very savvy businessman, but he clearly had a soft spot for professional wrestling. But I think for all concerned, uh, you, you don't want to be jumping into the pro wrestling business over these last uh, couple of years. But uh, what, what, what could have been uh, one final Jerry Jarrett run? For all we know, he could have been could have been booking uh, AEW. Um, could you imagine? I, 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 I guess. Sure. <laughs> Uh, he could have been booking. He could have been WWE with this kid for a time. It could have happened. Uh, Jerry Lawler could not attend because of his recent stroke, but he did send in a message, um, you know, just thanking Jerry Jarrett and knowing him since 1970 when he broke into the business and all the all the stars that came through Memphis through Jerry, who brought entertainment to the wrestling world, and he called his two greatest moments in his career. Uh, they were. It was Jerry Jarrett that was responsible for him, winning the AWA title and his rivalry with Andy Kaufman that he called his his two biggest moments. So um, if you have a chance to see this, um, I thought it was a very moving speech from Jeff and Dave Brown was just uh, this man is like listening to um, the man just has a voice that is demands an audience. So a really great speech from him as well. Moving on, we have a. Some ratings. No, actually, first, uh, just a quick note of congratulations to Sonia Deville, who uh, got engaged to her partner, um, proposed to her last week, the day after Valentine's Day, and she proposed to her. And then um, her girl, her girlfriend, uh, 
immediately grabbed her bag and she had her own uh, ring in, in there that she had been saving. Did this happen to you, Way, when you proposed? It did not, no. Oh. <laughs> but, but really sweet. No, when I proposed, I didn't have a ring. Oh, okay. It was a... I knew that my to-be wife was going to want to pick out her ring, and mm. I didn't have it in me to guess and know yeah. that I would – my wife would have been, yeah, this is wonderful, but you've got to return this because I'm not yeah. wearing this. So she actually it, it, appreciated it, it, the fact that I did not have a ring. Even guessing sizes you know, would, would have been very difficult. I kind of had to sneak, sneak around to like – I don't even know what I did, but ultimately I, I asked her best friend what she wanted, and that's, that's always what my recommendation. Just ask her best friend. Yeah, that's always that's always the the right move to, to go to. Mm-hmm. Ratings notes. Uh, we're gonna go backwards here, uh, starting with SmackDown on uh, Friday night, and they did two million three hundred eighty three thousand viewers and a point five eight in the demo. So uh, down slightly from the previous week, they dropped ten percent in the demo, and uh, they did a very big number in Canada, over two hundred and ninety five thousand viewers. So that was one of their biggest numbers uh, going back as long as I've been tracking. SmackDown numbers. So uh, a big, big uh, figure in Canada on the eve of Elimination Chamber. While Rampage that night was outside of its time slot and aired at 7 p.m. Eastern due to the NBA All-Star coverage on TNT, and they did 287,000 viewers and a .07 in the demo. Uh, These would be the lowest numbers in the history of Rampage, and that would include um, other airings of Rampage that aired outside of the uh, normal 10 p.m. time slot. So last year, there were two episodes of of Rampage that aired at 7 p.m., which was the time it aired this past Friday. And uh, they did 410 and 482,000 viewers, respectively, a 0.14 and a 0.22. So, I mean, you can't... you can't just say the sky is falling based on the, this number. At the same time, I also can't entirely dismiss it as just it was outside of its time slot because even comparing it to other airings of Rampage that uh, – let's remember, this has been bounced around to 7 p.m. to 5.30 p.m. to 4 p.m. It's never done this low. And it was funny because I I caught up on a lot of stuff when we were away in uh, Montreal. I did not watch Rampage. And when I sat down tonight, I was curious – what am I going to be behind on watching tonight's Dynamite by missing Rampage? And outside of the angle they shot with the House of Black with the Elite, that was pretty much repeat not repeated, but if you had missed it, you really missed nothing because it was all mm. done on tonight's show. I can't say like there was anything that I watched Dynamite tonight and I had questions about that would have been answered had I watched Rampage. The, the biggest thing seemed to be Keith Lee's return, which, you know, if you're only watching Dynamite, was really a non-factor. Was that even um, brought up tonight on Dynamite? They had a graphic for Rampage with Dustin and Keith Lee. To, to speak this week, right. Yeah. Okay. So, so, so if you're watching, you'd be like, oh, where, when did Keith Lee come back and why is he fair. blonde now? So yep. so that that's really the only thing. But I mean, even that was sort of like almost reduced to like a, a Rampage exclusive story at this point. Yeah. Like it, sometimes it's a good experiment to maybe step away and see if we missed want like did you miss the experience of watching rampage and honestly the answer is no especially when there's so much else to watch so i watched impact i watched last week's impact i mean i only had so much time and i did want to catch up on impact so i watched that and i mean it's not like this was some lame duck rampage either you had an elite match on the show and they're wrestling again this friday so Obviously, the number will be up this Friday, but I, I don't go out and just say completely dismiss this number. I think it, it just, 
it sort of just underscores uh, a larger trend that one of the things we have noted is that when AEW gets bounced around, this is an audience that finds the show. And I think with Dynamite, they will. But Rampage, I think it's less and less. And this was one where, um, yeah, for, for whatever reason, this was not as important as other times when uh, the audience has been much higher outside the time slot. They needed to do a three on three basketball game between the elite and top flight and Nera Fox. I'm think. not kidding. Like there would have been some curiosity for that. You Some know, curiosity. I don't know if I'd be tuning in red at seven. To do like it. Hogan and Paul White. Yeah, you can give us the match of Halloween Havoc. But what if you two got into monster trucks on the top of Cobo Hall? Legendary. Give them A both. Legendary moment. Yeah. So then we had um, – uh, where are we? Uh, the A&E debuts over the weekend. So the first biography. It was a two-hour bio on the NWO, and they did 495,000 viewers, a .15 in the demo. What do those numbers mean? Well, they beat six of the nine documentaries from the last season on A&E behind the Luger, Goldberg, and DX uh, docs. And uh, the the largest was the first ever one two years ago with uh, Steve Austin. But uh, if you missed this uh, documentary, it was, uh, again, two hours. They had original interviews with Hulk Hogan, uh, Kevin Nash, was very emotional at times talking about Scott Hall and they they relied on prior interviews done with uh, Scott Hall. Uh, they also had a new one with Sean Waltman and Mark Ramundi was the reporter because he's writing a book on the NWO that's uh, going to be out in the future. Um, so that was uh, the the first two hours and then they had rivals on Hulk Hogan versus Andre the Giant that did 444,000 and a 0.14, uh, both numbers ahead of what they averaged during the last season. So this week they have a, uh, the biography covers Jake Roberts and rivals will focus on mankind against the undertaker. And coming up, we've got docs on China, which should be pretty good. And you can compare, I guess, to the vice one that they did last year. Kane, which I don't know what to make of two hours on <laughs> Kane. I mean, that's going to be a real interesting one. Um, don't know if I'll be checking that one out. The Iron Sheik, which is could actually be very good. Um, you know, when the uh when the Megan brothers did that Iron Sheik documentary a number of years ago, it was very good. Um and and he has you know, the very sad story involving his daughter and just his story of like coming over to the US, his involvement um at the you know, with the AWA and then with the WWF, Vern putting him up to uh go out and uh you know uh shoot on Hulk Hogan. And then the last one, it's the week before WrestleMania, and it's two hours on Dusty Roads, which is probably going to be the big one that they push, I would say, the most significant. It's not as though they've done a huge push on television for these A&E beyond the typical uh, promotion. But I would say the Dusty one, it actively builds up your your number one story for WrestleMania. Yeah, maybe you can bet, you know, Cody doing a bit of extra promotion for it as well, since he'll um, undoubtedly be a major part of it, of course. So, um, yeah, I don't know what it is, John. Like, I feel like my appetite for these sort of like wrestling documentaries isn't really all that high um, compared to previous years, you know, when I feel like there was a real lack in uh, of this sort of content and, and every single DVD release, every single, you know, third party documentary felt like they were big deals. Now we just seem to get them and nobody really seems to talk about them and they just, you know, they're, 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 they're not as important to me. Yeah. There's, it's, there's so much programming out there. It's, it's, it's one of the things I, I lamented about Wednesday nights that we only have two hours of AEW programming. And, oh, yes, uh, of course. 
We'll get to that. Mm-hmm. Uh, final numbers. Uh, Raw on Monday did 2 million and 6,000 viewers. So for the third time this year, they topped 2 million viewers, up 11% this week and a 0.58 in the demo. That was up 19%. They were the number one show on all of television and uh, their highest numbers since uh, those back to back weeks with the Raw 30th anniversary and the night or the the Raw following the Royal Rumble. So very, very solid number for Raw. And they did uh, just over 348,000 viewers in Canada, uh, which would be behind the Raw is uh, 30 special in Canada and right near the level that they did for the night after WrestleMania last Monday. So uh, they're doing some monster numbers in Canada, like highest uh, in, in quite a while with uh, SmackDown and among their highest in uh, the last several years on Monday night. So who knew push two strong Canadians and you're going to get Canadian viewership up. I mean, it was um, certainly the thing is it's, it's not just a localized story. It feels like um, everybody is, is on board with this thing. So especially Canadians, of course. So did cool. Sammy did so much promotion for that event. And mm-hmm. yeah. And y- you have a story now where it's, it's like the the soap opera of when will it's like when, when are Ross and Rachel going to get together? That's what we've got between <laughs> Owens and Sami Zayn over the next couple of weeks and building towards this um this big moment that typically like this is like the episodic type of storytelling that does numbers because of that intrigue. It's sort of been the entire bloodline story, has it not? You know, it's it, you know who who. Where, where do these men's allegiances lie? Is Sammy truly with the bloodline? Is Jay truly with the bloodline? Is Kevin truly with Sammy or not? So tune in to find out. Last thing here is uh, this uh, Friday, actually. It's the uh, Impact No Surrender card that's airing at 8 Eastern. This is an Impact Plus special. It'll also be airing on Fight TV. Um, Fight TV as a separate pay-per-view. It's not part of Fight Plus. Uh, but we have Josh Alexander against Rich Swan for the Impact title. And the story here is that Rich Swan lost the title years ago to Kenny Omega. He has never gotten his rematch for the title. So this is him trying to... Um, Get his placement back on top of Impact Wrestling against the uh, against the franchise player, Josh Alexander. Mickey James takes on Masha Slamovich for the Knockouts title. Um, you know, Slamovich has been a character that they've pushed very hard, um, mainly through her uh, uh, her program recently with uh, uh, just just building her up uh, essentially with you know the undefeated streak as as long as it went, and then. Motor City Machine Guns and Kushida take on Kenta, Chris Bay, and Ace Austin in a six-man tag, which I will, I would imagine is going to be very solid. Steve Macklin, Brian Myers, Heath, and PCO. This is a number one contenders match, and Steve Macklin has been the one that has been winning and winning, and he is the guy that has not gotten his shot at the Impact title. He's had, uh, you know, he had the wrong loss at the wrong time, and it sets him back, but all indications are this match should produce the the challenger for rebellion in Toronto, and you would think that Steve Macklin will be the one uh, challenging for the Impact title in Toronto. We'll see if that's um, if that's uh, seen as a big enough match for a pay per view main event. Um, Steve Macklin's a good performer, but we will see. Um, I, I think the jury's still out on, on him as a you know main event level uh, talent, but it seems like it is his time. Joe Hendry and Moose. This is for the digital media title and way this will be a, one of your favorite types of matches, a dot combat match. 
And what does that entail? Getting on Twitter and uh, trolling each other? Yeah, it's going to be like talking mad shit about each other <laughs> in 140 characters or less. Uh, doxing the other guy. Um, <laughs> you know, this is going to be not for the faint at heart. Okay, this Goodness. is going to be a very violent match. So, so what is a dark combat match? I imagine it's just like a street fight. I I couldn't tell you. I don't, I don't know. But okay. uh, Joe Hendry's been like really popular in in Impact. Like, um, he's been having some really good matches lately. Moose Moose is very good, very um, very underrated. Uh, where he has uh, uh improved uh, too. So that th- this should be fine. The Death Dolls against the Hex, Allison Kay and Marty Bell uh, for the Knockouts Tag Titles. Frankie Kazarian will be taking on Khan, the uh, former member of the Ascension. Don't know, don't know how this match is, is going to be, but uh, Frankie Kazarian's back. He's got this. And then a live edition of Busted Open with Dave LaGreca, Tommy Dreamer, and Bully Ray. So this setup, okay? They sit down at a table, and they've been having this they're no longer friends way. They hate each other. They can't stand the sight of one another. So Santino Morella proposes that they have a live Busted Open at the pay-per-view. We're going to talk. We're going to, we sit down to talk on impact to promote a segment where we're going to talk at the pay per view. So tomorrow night on impact, they're doing a beat the clock challenge involving Bully Ray and Tommy Dreamer. Now, what are you beating the clock to achieve way? Whoever wins in the shortest amount of time gets to talk first. <laughs> During the, the busted open segment. I mean, this, this to me is like the most, they're arguing over. I go first. No, I go first. Well, you're both going to have to wrestle matches and whoever, like, imagine you and I went through this. Like, who talks first each week? Uh, I will gladly lose um, and let um, you talk first, John. I'm I, more than fine. <laughs> to so, let you. so if you pay to hear us talk tomorrow night on impact find out who will talk first i mean All it's right. kind of funny because wouldn't wouldn't lagreca be the one to talk first like he is the host of this segment i mean i think he should be they should make it a three-way clearly in this beat okay. the clock okay and then the pre-show has giselle shaw against diana perrazzo and what might be the match of the show speedball mike bailey against jonathan gresham which hopefully it gets time unfortunately hmm. this countdown's only a half hour and you've got two matches but um i would have loved to have this one on the pay-per-view i mean this is uh you know, 15, 20 minutes of these two would probably be the match of the show, to be quite honest. So anyway, that's that's no surrender. Um, Impact uh, is back with the show. And John Ceno and I will be doing a show for Post Wrestling Cafe members on Saturday. So look out for that. We've got uh, for, for patrons. Uh, we have uh, this week's uh, KG Muto retirement show that is already up. Then Thursday, it is MCU later with WH Scrump and Rich Fan reviewing the latest uh, Ant-Man and the Wasp film. Quantum Mania that um, critics are just they're very divided on way. Yeah, I haven't checked the uh, Rotten Tomatoes recently, but I mean, it's I think it's somewhere in the vicinity of 50 percent, at least critically. Um, so it's these these MCU films lately have been very divisive and that tends to make for really good conversation. So I'm really curious to hear what each uh, scrump WH and Rich thought about this movie because um, it's very divided. Also on Thursday, Brandon Thurston and I are releasing an interview with Lucas Middlebrook, who is a labor attorney that has worked uh, extensively um, in in the fields of professional sports when it comes to um, unions, associations. And he also has a big history in mixed martial arts working with he represented Nick Diaz. He has worked with Leslie Smith in the past. And he's also very familiar with uh, pro wrestling. If you remember, um, 
he was talking last year about working alongside Andrew Yang, and he'll have an update on that. And also explaining, we frequently have the subject of independent contractors come up and what qualifies as an independent contractor will do wwe wrestlers fall under that label and what are the differences between a union and association and if professional wrestlers and fighters for that matter wanted to unionize what are the actual steps that they would have to go through so a bit of a a primer when it comes to some of these labor issues that we talk about from a overall perspective, but actually getting into the steps towards change, I think that you'll find this uh, conversation very interesting and plays off really well with the discussion I had with John Nash last week. So if you're interested in that, it's going to be dropping Thursday at 1 p.m. Eastern on both the Post Wrestling and WrestleNomics feeds. I'm loving more Pollock and Thirst interviews. This is becoming a regular thing. Yeah, we're we're enjoying doing these chats, so you can look out for for more. But way the question that is on everyone's mind is, how did you watch Dynamite tonight? How did I watch, Sean? I watched through NordVPN. Mm. Our thank you to sponsor of this particular podcast, of course, NordVPN. The I only watch AEW through AEW Plus right now, and of course, uh, I can only purchase it outside of Canada through the use of a VPN. Uh, you can also use NordJohn to sign up for a cheaper subscription through any service in other locations, which I have actually done with Netflix ever since <laughs> account restrictions were announced in my particular country. So I'm enjoying Turkish Netflix right now. Um, and it's, uh, it's been free, freeing. Um, how you did know. you settle on Turkish Netflix? It's, it's one of the countries that hasn't been impacted by these restrictions and it's considerably cheaper. So, um, that's how, John. uh, and you know, it's not even like, it's something that is, is perfectly fine to do. As far as I know, it's not illegal or anything like that. It's just, you know, if somebody were to travel outside of Turkey, they could use Netflix outside. So you can use that through NordVPN to sign up for any subscription service for a cheaper fee. VPNs are also really useful for those with concerns about online security, because if you do any sort of downloading of content, or if you're concerned about unwanted tracking from advertisers, ISPs, phishing sites, and hackers, a trusted VPN helps mask your IP to protect your browsing, and Nord is one of the most established and reputable VPN providers in the field. Voted Best Premium VPN of 2023, according to PC Mag. Over 5,000 servers from around the world, customization options for power users, but a very intuitive and clear interface for novices that just want things to work. And as I mentioned last week, this month is Nord's 11th birthday, so every purchase of a two-year plan will get you an additional bonus of three months to one year added to your subscription. And if you sign up through Post Wrestling, or sorry, NordVPN.com slash Post Wrestling, you also get a bonus month on top of that. So a minimum of four months bonus on all two years pl- two-year plans for as little as three thirty-five a month. Use NordVPN.com slash post wrestling. Try it for 30 days or get your money back if you don't like it. Again, NordVPN.com slash post wrestling and let them know you found out about Nord through us. Our thanks again to Nord for their sponsorship of this podcast. There you go. NordVPN.com slash post wrestling and let Way know what he is missing on Turkish Netflix. Give him some guidance. The content is the same, but um, yeah, you could you could pretty much browse content from any country if you want. Okay, well, maybe you should go on a world tour across all the different regions and report back to us. Hey, man, I just finished Physical 100. I'm waiting for Drive to Survive, which comes out on Friday. Uh, and in fact, you and I might actually do a review, or at least oh. um, do some do some reviews, I should say. So, Drive to Survive is back Friday. 
That's right. We're uh, we're probably going to be discussing that. And uh, next week on Rewind Away, it is WWF UK Rampage 1992. So I know our UK listeners, they always love when we uh, swoop in on their culture. And that is what we're doing next week as WrestleMania 8 is in the rearview mirror. And it's time for dun, 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 Rampage. Oh, wow. Is that your replica uh, version of the Rampage theme? The fact you had to ask means it was hmm. not a great one, but I, I tried. So a lot of singing tonight. Okay. On that note, we are getting into Dynamite from Phoenix, Arizona. Got to say, this was a Dynamite that on paper did not look like the most appealing Dynamite. And I would say from a action standpoint, uh, while there was one match I really enjoyed and one of which um, I I think a, a quart of blood was lost in. Um, I did not feel that the wrestling was at the usual dynamite level on on this show as a, as a whole. I mean, the usual usual dynamite level, I guess, being pretty high, very um, high. Me, it, it's I, a blessing I, and a curse on its I, own. I'm sure you could look at this show and uh, and enjoy all of this, but to me, it is. I think they have they have risen their. Um, their bar so significantly high that mm-hmm. I cannot tell you the last time on a WWE show we got something the quality of Orange Cassidy and Wheeler Yuta, and yep. yet here we are, and I'm sitting here, and in terms of the five matches that you're talking about, um, I just felt it was not overall at the level of most Dynamites. And just mm-hmm. quite frankly, um, like Moxley and Evil Uno, that, that's a Rampage main event headlining dynamite i think they tried to make it something more than that you know they certainly put enough like probable time for evil uno to 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 make it feel a bit more serious but i can can you go over his 19 wins leading into this match yeah no they have not featured him at all on dynamite leading up to this but um i yeah like i wondered if that one that one was supposed to get a bit more time um, because it felt like it deserved a bit more time than it had but it was one of the shorter mm-hmm. main events i can recall on dynamite like it was starting at about 10 2 mm-hmm. but you know this opener i rarely feel like do i feel like i get that um like level of of storytelling on a wrestling uh, or in a tv match so i was pretty satisfied for that at least. This the show had an amazing start to it. It's Orange mm-hmm. Cassidy and Wheeler Yuta for the All Atlantic Championship, uh, and we have both of them trying to use the other's holds on them. Starting off with Cassidy using the seatbelt on Yuta, and Yuta getting frustrated, going to the floor when Claudio walks down, and Dad is pissed, and he slaps Yuta, and Yuta fires up, and he goes after. He, he slaps him basically. Because he's sick of Yuta doing all this wrestling stuff. When the BCC, you know, they care about wrestling. They like technical work. But above all else, they prefer violence. And this was a slap to tell Yuta to stop fucking around and beat the shit out of this guy. So he goes for his eyes. He's going to yeah. maybe a tribute to Jerry Jarrett. This, uh, there was this this uh, old-time wrestler, Mario Galento, where mm-hmm. – he like jumped Jerry Jarrett in the ring and Jerry Jarrett, as the story goes, tore his eye out. Goodness. Well, that's not fun. No. It's not very nice. He should he should have joined the BCC, clearly. Jerry he, Jarrett. He could have been the uh, the overseer of the uh the BCC. The Nashville Combat Club. The Nashville Combat Club. I mean Jarrett was uh an MMA practitioner back in TNA. That's it, yes. 
So he tosses him over the timekeeper's table, and then he high-fives Claudio, whose work is done, and Claudio can now go to the back and uh, and sit back. So we see uh, Yuta in control during the break, and then Cassidy is firing back with up kicks and then applies a loose bear hug. Yuta headbutts him, drills him with hammer fists, a lot of urgency from Yuta. They trade Germans, and then it's Yuta using the mousetrap for a two-count, and the crowd applauds this. It seemed like they were understanding all of this uh, that they were demonstrating, because mm-hmm. this was a red-hot crowd for yeah. this match. And Yuta spits his gum at Orange Cassidy, it does not flick off of his forehead. It sticks onto his forehead, which is a level of – I can watch um, Evil Uno squeezing blood across the ring from his vein, but seeing this gum trapped on the man's forehead was a level of grossness I was not ready for at 8, 10 p.m. Eastern. Gum, really? I mean, Ugh. What's, what's so bad about that? Wait, imagine I was chewing on anything else but gum, okay? Some kind of food. And then I took it out of my molars with all my saliva on it. And then I placed it onto your forehead. Do you know the germs that I am passing on to you? It's gross. What if he he spat out of poutine? I'd kill him. uh, Like, that would be (laughs) it. The person would die. So um, it was quite the quite the spit, you know, Mr. Perfect couldn't have uh, spat out gum. uh, Like, look at this. And the color. It looks like a Photoshop. right? It looks like what was this like mint? Some sort of minty um, winter fresh gum? It's not not spearmint. I mean, it could have been a fruit flavored gum. Mm -hmm. Anyway, maybe uh, quite the shot. So Orange Cassidy spits back at him, which I mean, he was he was allowed some uh, retaliatory spit. So Cassidy back body drops Yuta onto the edge of the apron. Big satellite DDT in the ring. And then the beach break gets countered with a pile driver for a two count. And it's Cassidy using the hammer and anvil elbows onto Yuta. Yuta uses the seatbelt and there's an orange punch to Yuta and he kicks out and this crowd explodes at the, at the near fall. Then he hits a beach break and you, and Yuta kicks out at two with a ton of emphasis. And while he's on his knees, orange delivers the final orange punch and wins this match in 16 minutes and 51 seconds. An excellent match, match of the show for me by a landslide. Agreed. Agreed. I mean, um, I thought. Like, I think Orange Cassidy has been like a, a good all Atlantic champion, you know, um, and, and my expectations, I suppose, for an all Atlantic champion aren't really that high right now. Essentially, it's just sort of like your rampage championship, you know, a guy who gets to wrestle uh, every single week and hopefully has bangers. But like it, he's not necessarily like people aren't really coveting the all Atlantic championship in, in terms of like, you know, any sort of like long story. And this wasn't even that either. Like this was even so much about the championship. Um, So going into this, my interest was not that high on paper. Um, I knew the in-ring work was going to be solid as it is with like most people on this roster. But I was really taken aback by um, the storytelling of this match. And to me, it's what made this match stand out about the, above the usual. I think Yuta's growth as a character and personality has been pretty strong, you know, um, and I would go as far as to say outside of Moxley, um, Brian had a really good night tonight, but like, I would go as far as to say outside of Moxley, I think you've had the most character development of any BCC member, um, in Wheeler Yuta. 
you know, Claudio and Brian, I would say, are largely just kind of like coasting on their established fame. But Yuta is practically a, an original project of Tony Khan's. He's the young kid who's constantly looking to prove himself. And uh, the energy that he brought here where he had to not just be aggressive, but play a bit heelish against an Orange Cassidy. I thought he was really strong. I love how Orange Cassidy was able to stay defined. I mean, this ultimately became sort of a battle of philosophies. Yuta, of course, you know, formerly being belonging to the best friends, defected out of the best friends to join the Blackpool Combat Club because he wanted to get serious with his career. And he he was essentially telling Orange Cassidy, hey, you you are better than this. You're better than this, you know, hands being hands in the pockets type of guy. And I love how, you know, there was this moment in the match where Cassidy was able to to be defiant through the use of the hands in the pocket spot. And, you know, even while he was taking a beating against Wheeler Yuta, you know, Orange Cassidy kept the hands in the pockets as if to say his philosophy of being carefree is superior to you know how uptight the bcc are um but in the end especially like you had a finish here that was that was uh like you know rick flair and Shawn michaels i'm sorry i i i love you but like it was almost you to saying um i've already made my point because that big forearm exchange these two had was when cassidy didn't have his hands in his pockets and he was firing up and showing aggression the way you to almost prompted him to so um, I thought it was almost like a moral victory for you to hear in, in the conclusion because he made Orange Cassidy tap into something that he's he's not normally used to tapping into. So wonderful storytelling in this match. Don't skip it if you are going to skip this rampage. Yeah, and probably, and probably you could expect follow-up to this given where the direction seems to be going, at least with the Moxley, Claudio, and Yuta uh, members of the BCC. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because, you know, obviously Mox is tied up. Brian's tied up. Could see Yuta, yeah. Yuta is uh, is crawling, and Cassidy offers him a hug, but Claudio comes down and summons Yuta to leave, and the crowd is so upset that they're not going to hug it out, and Yuta leaves with, with Dad. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I think the, the BCC are really interesting in that, like, they they all kind of adopt, like, John Moxley's personality, where you can kind of play babyface or and a heel depending on the opponents that you're facing. Um ultimately they're still baby faces but like they could be overly dickish to the point where you might want to boo them as well. So they're incredibly versatile and I think very interesting. Renee interviewed Hangman Page and Evil Uno and Hangman says that you can't prepare for John Moxley and Uno thinks that Page doesn't believe the Dark Order is on his level. So he does not want Hangman getting involved in his match with Moxley later tonight and Hangman would end up staying in the back, but we would see him in the post-match. Really Ricky's- strong promo work, like, you know, in this in these couple weeks from Evil Uno. I mean, obviously, clearly the man has always had it w- within him, but plays a comedic character. But, you know, this these f- few couple weeks have been really good to showcase. Um, it's been a really good week for Montreal wrestlers, hasn't it? Yes. I mean, he he is right on that that list for this week. And I think he realized like this is my my big shot to have a a big television match and get some promo time to build it up, which is it it doesn't get thrown out too often for characters at his level on on the Mm -hmm. big show. Ricky starts is out huge reaction. And essentially, he says Jericho doesn't want to give him a rematch. So he accepts that and says, I'm moving on. And this crowd cheers that this program is over, which I don't know if that's the reaction you are coveting, but Mm-mm. this audience was ready for them to just stick a pin in this program and Starks moves on. But it's all a ruse as he issues an open challenge with a contract for revolution to face anyone. Out comes Jericho and 
Everyone here that cheered the program being over also sang Judas at the top of their lungs. And he says, Starks isn't done with him until I say so. And that you beating me was the highlight of your career, but it's never going to happen again. And I can beat you anytime, any place, but it's not going to happen because you're not at my level. So Peter Avalon comes out to answer the open challenge, and he is met with a Judas effect, but not just a normal Judas effect. It's a Judas effect from the spiked jacket that Chris Jericho is wearing. So Avalon may have been killed. Yeah, this 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 could have been like homicide, you know? I mean, we never got an update on Avalon after. Mm-hmm. It's very dangerous. Spiked jacket. Jericho enters the ring and says, maybe I will embarrass you at Revolution. And Starks wants to fight him without the JAS in his corner because he knows Jericho could beat him on his own. So why won't you fight me on your own? And Jericho is stating that I would add an addendum to this contract that would leave the Jericho Appreciation Society in the back, but I don't have a pen. And Starks says, that's too bad. Because I do. And he pulls out a pen and Jericho takes the pen and he clicks the pen open. His crowd pops. He, yeah, he references like what he used to do with the list, basically. Yeah. And then we got the best line of the night from Excalibur who says, never before has bureaucracy been so exciting. And Jericho adds the (laughs) stipulation and says, no one outsmarts the Ocho as Starks smirks as he thinks he's got the better of Jericho. So you're left to believe here that either Jericho is exceptionally gullible and got talked into the the lamest reverse psychology, mm-hmm. or Jericho ultimately has a plan. Because first they showed Starks smirking at the camera, and then they kind of showed a look on Jericho's face. So this is sort of spy versus spy of who got who won this negotiation. Mm, okay. That's how I took it. Yeah, you're probably right cuz even um cuz I thought this was a little too easy, it you was, know, for It was very contrived if you're looking for it as uh Jericho being talked into this match. With- it kind of reduced like Jericho to like, you know, like the like somebody who like a toddler who who's easily kind of tricked into something like this and and I would definitely give like Chris Jericho a bit more credit in, in you know, as a creative sort of mind than than just a segment like this. I'm assuming um, another layer to this segment in the mm. contract of some sort, yeah. or he has a non member, uh, of, of some sort. How about a gauntlet on top no of this? No more gauntlets. No more gauntlets. Yeah. I'm sensing, um, yeah, you know, crowd, the crowd kind of, um, pretty being pretty sick, you know, uh, uh, of this feud by now and wanting it to wrap up. And that, that pop was, that pop was telling like they are they're ready for this to wrap. It kind of made me surprised that like Starks would even tease it because I, I don't think it, it reflected, um, you know, positively on, on the feud. Uh, how many weeks do we have until next, a month? It, Six revolution? Weeks? Yeah. How many it's weeks? next weekend, dude. Oh, it's next weekend. Wow. Sorry. <laughs> There's been a lot. So, okay. So we're, we're pretty close, you know, not much time left. And I think, um, I think it'll be okay. Like, I can't really say my interest in the match is all that high. Number one, cause we've already seen the match before. Um, we've had a feud that that's kind of been never ending. We'll see what they can do to really heighten interest. Sorry, I love the idea that at the end of this segment, you were believing this. You've got six more weeks until this yeah. pay per view match between Jericho and Starks. I mean, that at that point, you would be certainly questioning of uh, how long this thing. I can't has keep left. track of this shit, man. Are you kidding me? There's there's something every week. 
I look I look ahead like a day at a time. Lee Moriarty and Big Bill taking on the acclaimed. Max Caster raps about running them out of town like former Suns owner Robert Sarver. Says Lee Moriarty is Tiger style, but his mom likes it doggy style. And that Bill's girl texted him saying he's S-A-W-F-T. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I guess uh, insinuating uh, Lexi Nair uh, texted Max Casper. Oh, are they a, an item? That's that's nice. They are engaged, actually. Oh, yeah. that's wonderful. Congrats. The, the crowd was so hot for this. They were singing for the acclaim. They were chanting Scissor Zona, which mm. I mean, you can have some uh, merchandise next time you uh, you come to Phoenix. Uh, the guns come out during the break, and then Bowens is fighting both back. Billy gets booted off the apron by Big B- Bill boots Billy off the apron. Too many bills here. Max then rams Bill into the rail, and the guns attack their father, stomp him. They're getting heat. They get chased off by the acclaimed, and then Max posts Bill, and they hit the arrival and mic drop. Seven minutes and twelve seconds. Uh, crowd was amped for the acclaimed, and the three of them scissor inside the ring. <laughs> Still funny, yeah. Yeah, good match. After all this time. Yeah, good match. Crowd was very engaged, as always, whenever the Acclaimed are in there. Um, The Acclaimed are just, uh, it's a party when they come out mm -hmm. and you get the rap and then they sing, they have fun. It's a great act for many reasons, for the live crowd and those at home, too. You know, not not the type of match that I I feel like are going to top like a match of the night type of list, but like it's, they're more of a, an entertaining, like a sports entertainment type of team. And that's perfectly fine. You need variety on these shows. Shivani brought out Christian Cage, who immediately gets tackled into next week by Jack Perry. He killed this guy with this tackle and then hits a sliding lariat and brings out a pair of chairs. But Jack Perry can't bring himself to do it. He hesitates and it allows Christian to low blow Jack and then rams this dude's head over and over into the chair. And we get our first bludgeoning of the night. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. Blood. Gotta Lots have blood. of it on this show. Gotta this have the, at least one bleeder per hour on this, this show. This is the least of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, so, th- I thought, uh, Jungle Boy showed some like good, you know, fire here and, uh, Came across, um, like a, like a man. <laughs> Jungle <laughs> which I man. Think, yeah, which I think they're trying to do. Um, yeah, it's okay. I, I, I honestly, like, two weeks to go, like, I don't, I don't know if this is hot enough, like, to warrant a pay per view match, but it's, it's a big loose end for Jungle Boy that, I mean, they, they do need to tie up. After all these months. I mean, you could get away, I guess, doing this on, on television. As we'll get into later, they're going to put Adam Cole's return match on TV instead of mm-hmm. the pay-per-view. Video for Samoa Joe and Wardlow. They have their TNT title match at the pay-per-view. Joe is not a man to be messed with, and he will prove it's Wardlow's biggest mistake, stepping back in the ring with Joe. And they included highlights of Wardlow's interview last week with Jim Ross. Soraya versus Sky Blue. We have Tony Storm in Soraya's corner, and... Storm gets on the apron, distracting, allowing Soraya to yank Sky Blue off the turnbuckle and then hits her. Tony hits her with a snap suplex behind the referee's back on the floor. Blue comes back with a with a octopus and it's turned into the former Rampage, uh, which has not received a rebranded name yet. And the crowd is. Was it the Rampage or the PTO? What Which one was the Rampage? Rampage, I thought, was the DDT. What, what am I? What's. 
PTO it, is a which, submission. Which is like the swinging neckbreaker deal that she does. I thought that was page turner. Wasn't that the page turner? Oh, that's the page turner. You're right. I can't keep up with these puns. Um, hmm. The PTO is what she used as the finisher tonight, right? Yeah, yeah. That's what she had. Yes. Oh, okay. So, that's what you're referring to. Yeah. Sorry. Right. Midway through, they did the the page turner. Got right. It. Um, so Blue hits a step up knee, but then again, Storm distracts uh, multiple distractions in three minutes here. Sky then nails Storm, head kick by Soraya, and she applies the PTO. Um, I guess the STO now. I guess you can't call it the STO, yeah. can you? Um, hmm. Three minutes and forty two seconds. So she needs to sit down with uh marketing and and come up with some Soraya. Theme names. Yeah, I mean, I I suppose like you know all the um, author page like puns are are kind of taken up right now, so maybe best to stay out of that. But Saraya is going to be a bit tougher to come up with a catchy name for, you know. Get um get Braden on the on the case. I'm sure he could come up with some names. Maybe maybe. Okay. Um, match was okay. You know, I thought Sky Blue uh, did really the, well. The audience was in, more into like this was a pretty like nothing match on paper. They got into Sky Blue which helped mm-hmm. it. Um but it was I mean it was largely just Tony Storm constantly getting involved here. I I can't say this was a great match, but the the audience like lifted a lot of this I thought throughout the show. This was um this was like 7,000 or so people that they had. This was a very good crowd for Dynamite. I thought Paige's heel charisma w- was good here. We didn't see really anything, any perplexing uh, spray paint s- spots. Uh, yes, we did. Because afterwards, Jamie Hayter runs down Baker uh, uh, and is with uh, Baker. They clear the ring and then Tony and Soraya have their spray paint. So some fan has a DMD sign and they spray paint it green and it, it barely like – affects the sign at all it's like this light background that adds to the the bold black ink on the uh on the poster so not like last week it wasn't i think they've retired the spray paint the ass spot so um all ideas must be tried before they uh are cut and that was one that um not not exactly um a keeper i guess light green paint is maybe tougher to to show up you know they got to get whatever dx had i suppose um, the, the feud to me is still very much kind of battling out of a deficit in, in interest. Um, but tonight was fine, you know, and just kind of puts Array into the spotlight ahead of the Tuttle, Tuttle challenge. Brian Danielson comes out a huge reaction here in Phoenix, which I believe he still lives in Phoenix. I don't know. I thought they moved to Napa. I mean, it's been a while since it was covered in total Bell. At some point so. they were living in Phoenix. Yeah. I don't know if they still do or not, but yeah. nonetheless has ties to uh, the city. Mm-hmm. And he says that MJF said he hates him last week and doesn't understand this when MJF's the one that attacked his mentor and put a bounty on me. And yet he hates me. So yeah, MJF, they, they actually mentioned Regal. I mean, yeah, yeah, by name, they mentioned William Regal. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, both of them did. So he's back. He's back in the, uh, the lexicon of uh, AEW. MJF yeah. interrupts. And explains that he was a, he was abandoned by anyone he has ever opened up to and abandoned by those he loved. And he includes a story about meeting a girl that changed his outlook on life. So he got down on one knee and said he wanted to start a family and a life with her. But then she left him and the crowd is not buying this. Brian is just smirking at all of this. The crowd starts chanting, you deserve it at MJF. And said that she left him because he was unlovable. And now all he has that provides unconditional love is his world championship. Not his current fiance, but this championship belt. 
in story, is he referring to his current fiance as the one who left him? Is that the idea? I don't know, but I think everyone in this arena, I think, is aware that the man's engaged. Yeah, I know. So was he was he not saying in uh, the MGF character was engaged and then that the woman left him? Oh, okay. I guess you could take it that way. I took this to be uh, like this was you know years ago. This is why he's such a prick. It's not like he was this great guy two months ago. Well, okay. well, he says that this title is the only thing stopping him from grabbing a, fi- a fistful of pills and calling it a day. So we can yeah. add, um, uh, we can add taking one's own life to the uh, the buttons that uh, MGF is adding for uh, material. Mm-hmm. He explains Danielson has everything he wanted. He has a family and a wife, two kids. And you take it all for granted. And he hates Danielson because he's had more concussions and head trauma than anyone in the history of this business. I don't know about that one. There would probably be some competition for who has had the most head trauma in this industry. How many has Brian said he's had? Oh, Uh, I mean, I believe he said like double digits. I mean, most of them undiagnosed. Yes, I would say probably of ones even diagnosed, he would be up there. Um, Yeah. But think of the think of the decades of guys that um, worked with concussions and had no idea that they were working with concussions. So, um, well, then how maybe, would you prove it? Well, I would. Uh, I, I guess you would have. Brian to, uh, take- Brian was was like, if you're going to say that about anybody, like I think Brian was a, a fine choice. And mentions him having seizures, and yet you're still in his sport. And each time you step into the ring, you're saying that wrestling is more important than your family and taking everything that I would kill for and taking it for granted. You're no different than your drug addicted mentor, William Regal. Mm-hmm. Danielson says you're even worse because you're addicted to the spotlight and you're going to get more of a spotlight than ever at Revolution because I'm going to punish you. And now I'm going to address your children. And he looks into the camera and Danielson warns him, don't talk to my children or I'll kick the shit out of you. And as someone that has heard Danielson state that he limits himself to one hour of screen time per day. And the idea of the Danielson's even having cable. I had it hard to believe that his kids were, were watching Dynamite at, at 9 p.m. on a Wednesday night. I doubt it. Hmm. Still, you, I mean, yeah, they, they might not be watching, but you still don't want somebody to mention your kids' names on national TV, especially if you don't like the person. I mean, they could find this on the on AEW's YouTube channel the next day. I mean, they could it could be all over Twitter. Twitter. It's all oh. you know over these podcasts. Yeah. MJF disregards this warning and says hi to Birdie and Buddy. It's Uncle Max. And he's going to make their daddy pay for his selfishness. And I'm going to rip his arm out of his socket and make sure he can never play with you again. And I'm going to give him a gift at Revolution. And that gift is going to be early onset CTE. As Danielson attacks MJF, he's he's heard enough. And Danielson breaks free uh, after the, the security are in to separate them and Breaks free, nailing MJF on the floor as they are once again pulled apart. Uh, very intense segment here with uh, MJF going for the jugular here. How did this uh, segment work for you? I thought it was very good. You know, I thought uh, MJF delivered a pretty awesome promo. And I love the logic that he used to attack Brian. Um, I love the setup. You know, we, he, we, we haven't, to my knowledge, heard him talk about 
his um, romantic past, or at least this particular romantic past where he was so heartbroken. And um, I don't even know if we've ever heard him like state his desire to, you know, want to start a family. Wait, but, wait, we've never heard an, uh, an inkling of any of this, which is right. that that would be my negative to this is that it, ju- it just felt so out of place here that it was almost as though. Mm. You but were, it's my, but it's but it's the heel. Like if he was making it up, I I still think that was perfectly acceptable because he's a heel trying to get into the brain of Brian Danielson. I I'm not necessarily looking for truth and and sort of like an airtight you know backstory here from NJF. How how low is this guy willing to go in order to attack Brian? And he if he fabricated all of this just to kind of get into you know to attack the man's ability to be a good father and a family man i mean i I think that just makes him even more heelish every time you step in the ring you're saying wrestling is more important than your family and your children i thought was a brilliant way to twist brian's backstory which you know up until this point is i mean is presented as something that is like noble you know a man pursuing his passion um had it taken away from him and you know um despite uh, all odds uh worked hard to strive to get it but you can also reframe it as a man being incredibly selfish and yeah maybe neglecting your long-term health with your family in order to to to, to you know um to get your jollies out and, and bleed on tv so i thought it was a very believable and heated promo here by the end when he got into the stuff specific to danielson like the the psychology there of of him doing all of this um you know i, I thought that got to be effective what what I've always enjoyed about MJF is that this is a guy that it's it's kind of blurring that line. And as we saw throughout the the punk program is, you know, learning aspects of this guy's history. And this one felt to me just a bit more. I mean, two weeks ago, we're hearing about this guy, you know, getting getting a blowjob in a, in, in a Corvette. And now he's a man that just wants a, a family and a white picket fence. It's um to, to me, it, it, it's just more so um, it didn't hit as some of the other origin promos of MJF, which maybe you're designed not to uh, believe any of this. It's it's supposed to be more transparent that you're not to have any sympathy for this individual at all. You know that this is just a guy trying to mess with Danielson's head. Sean Rossap actually just tweeted that um, uh, he says the MJF promo had a lot of truth to it. Normally wouldn't cover that type of thing, but he and his fiance did have a split as was referenced on Dynamite. So okay, well there you go, was. and that would be something that I don't think anyone would have uh, realized on tonight's show. So that hmm. adds certainly a lot different context than to the promo. Yeah, there you go. Shivani is with Jamie Hader and Britt Baker, and agrees that Soraya and Ruby Soho deserve title matches, and suggests a three-way match, and she's going to beat both of those bitches. So another match for the pay-per-view, and they're going with both in the match. Mm-hmm. I, I, you know, Jamie Hayter, like, could, sounds really good on the mic every time they let her speak. And I, I would say she sounds too good to not have more consistent promo time on Dynamite. Um, I don't know what it is, but, like, I feel like, you know, this title run thus far, I, I don't know if her presence has felt big enough. And maybe that's just because she still kind of feels like a bit of a background player to Britt Baker in their team. But um, I really think she should be getting time to showcase, you know, her speaking almost every single week. And we haven't had that. The tag team battle Royal. So we had top flight, 
Jeff Jarrett and Jay Lethal, the Lucha Brothers, Best Friends, Roosh and Preston Vance, Ozzy Open, Matt Menard and Angelo Parker, Butcher and the Blade, John Silver and Alex Reynolds, and Ari Davari and Tony Nese. Uh, early on, Parker and Menard are not entering the ring. Uh, Mark Briscoe runs down going after Josh Woods and Mark Sterling, so they fought on the apron. Uh, this audience, they were so behind, the Lucha Brothers. They were the most over in this match, and boy, were they upset when uh, each of them were eliminated throughout the match. Um, we're not going to go through all of the eliminations here. It was a very long battle royal. Um, the final six were Phoenix, Trent Beretta, Dante Martin, Jeff Jarrett, his partner Jay Lethal, and The Butcher. And midway through the match, they announced after Ozzy Open has been eliminated that they're coming back on Rampage to take on the Young Bucks. And Phoenix then is eliminated along with Dante and The Butcher. Uh, crowd very uh, livid when Phoenix is gone. So it's down to Jarrett and Lethal and Trent is the remaining babyface. And you had Sutnam Singh on the floor to catch Lethal and Jarrett when they're about to fall off the apron. A lot of heat here for Jarrett and Lethal. And Trent is fighting back he gets hit with the stroke then he is tossed over but he skins the cat then tossed again by lethal skins the cat again as Jarrett and lethal are doing the strut and then orange cassidy saves him on his shoulders and puts him back into the ring trent back body drops lethal to the floor danhausen then chases dutt out and Singh catches Jarrett, places him back inside, hits another stroke, and sends Trent out in 18 minutes and 36 seconds. So Jarrett and Lethal join the acclaimed and the guns uh, with one more team to be added next week in the tag title match at Revolution. A year ago, if you told me, like, Jeff Jarrett, among all this talent, would somehow win a battle royal, um, I I would have been pretty, like, disappointed, but... Now it's a result that I think makes perfect sense. You know, Jarrett and Lethal among this crop are, in terms of personality, in terms of character, maybe the hottest, one of the hotter tag teams in in the division right now. And I think it makes sense that they would get on the pay per view as a second heel team to be able to tell those those stories with the guns. Um, so I had no issue at all. I thought Sutton was used to great effect as well. I was disappointed that like um. For a team that I feel like has had pretty good online buzz um, in in Aussie Open, I was a little disappointed they didn't make a bigger deal of like their debut. Um, yeah, they're trying to make like present this like Bucks match as as a bit of a draw on Rampage, but I uh, in the, if that's the case, I wouldn't have had them just kind of job out in this battle royal um, as if you know they weren't a big deal, and I I doubt that they'd even get a an entrance on Rampage with the way Rampage tends to start, so. Um, maybe it doesn't seem like they're looking to to do more with them beyond just having them be sort of a showcase team. But I think there's there's more you could have done with them. The House of Black did a promo, and Black wants to address the problem in this company. Their voices will be heard. They want the elite at Revolution, and they will see them face to face on Rampage. So we're gonna have a face to face on SmackDown with Charlotte and Rhea Ripley, and a face to face on Rampage. It's a lot of faces. Faces to Faces Friday. Mm -hmm. Renee is with Tony Khan, and it's time for his big announcement. But he is going to have Adam Cole deliver the news. Next month, there will be a one-hour TV series debuting on TBS, AEW All Access, with an unfiltered look at AEW that will get to show a lot of his story and other people's stories. And that same night of All Access's debut, he will make his return to the ring. 
So I would guess that this is going to coincide with Power Slap ending and all access going into the slot the week after Power Slap ends, which I believe it is set to end on March the 8th because they have the pay-per-view that following weekend. So they mm-hmm. didn't have a date, though, for when this was going to debut. And Excalibur specifically noted that uh, we'll have to find out the premiere date of this. So um, I guess maybe that's not locked down yet, um, whatever the date is. But it's an hour look. And I think, it, obviously, this is what um, they had been been shooting that we had heard about for um, all, all this time that they had been uh, shooting for. I guess, what do you expect with this? And... Um, are you curious to watch uh, the first episode of this? It, it seems like it's their replacement for Roads to the Top, you know, maybe more focused on behind the scenes. Um, am I interested? I really wasn't all that interested in Roads to the Top. But I, I'll be at least curious enough to see, like, um, how they treat some of the backstage um, elements. Um, from what I get, remember, Roads to the Top kind of featured, like, you know, a, a bit of a combination of real and just very badly staged sort of rivalry between backstage members. Um, that won't fly if, if you're no. hoping to do well here. And I mean, the, the bar is going to be what Power Slap is doing. Do you want to um, read the press release? It, it, oh, if you have the press out. release. Yeah. yeah. If they so, have the date in there. Uh, so uh, TBS has greenlit its first new unscripted series of 2023, further expanding its AEW franchise with AEW All Access, a follow doc from the perspective of the league's biggest stars. The new series, which was just announced during another red hot episode of TBS's Dynamite, is slated to premiere this March. So it doesn't really say. Um, Build as the ultimate behind the scenes experience for fans. The series will feature Adam Cole, Dr. Britt Baker, Sammy Guevara, Ty Conti, the Young Bucks, Soraya, Wardlow, and Eddie Kingston, along with AEW CEO, GM, and head of creative Tony Khan. Each episode will showcase AEW stars as they navigate the week to week challenges to remain at the top and will track the rivalries between talent as they vie for fans' attention. Over the course of the series, viewers will get the chance to follow the contentious lead-up to AEW's major wrestling events and matches. AEW All Access will complement TBS and TNT's portfolio of top-rated wrestling content, including Dynamite and Rampage, respectively. Um, all right. Yeah. So. I mean, obviously, the, the template would be Drive to Survive, like having something that is interesting enough for people to truly get into sort of the I think you have to present this as authentic as you possibly can. And that was certainly the indication you got from the setup of this. But I I don't think people are looking for a AEW version of Total Bellas or Roads to the Top. I think they are looking for something that is worthy of their, their time, of spending another hour, of watching television, of something that has – something that is not being offered elsewhere. Yeah, yeah. It seems like it'll feature at least, you know, um, two of the couples here in Britt Baker and Adam Cole and also Guevara and Conti. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't know how real it's, it's going to feel. Like that, that to me will sort of be, and, but, but does it need to feel real? You know, if it's yes, entertaining. I think it does. I, I think it depends. Like if it's good, then I think that's all that matters. And how much reference will the characters make to this TV show? I have a feeling it'll be quite a bit. Like, I, I think they will use this in storyline. That just tends to be the style of AWT, like, you know, storylines. It makes reference to real life events. And this seems to, you know, be profiling real life. So, um, I'll be interested to see how, how they kind of like combine with each other. What are we going to do? Are we going to stay like, uh, going live at 10 or, or what? What do you think? 
Um, I'm, I'm, I don't think we're going to be watching this regularly every week. Um, well, we, right, we can we, we make can your choice, it. everybody. We're going to go head to head with um, all access. I mean, listen, it's, it's check this out, but, um, maybe, maybe the first week, uh, we'll, we'll watch it, but I'm, I, I can't imagine sitting down and watching three hours every Wednesday night. On Rampage, Young Bucks against Aussie Open, Action Andretti against Sammy Guevara, Willow Nightingale against Tony Storm, Lance Archer is in action, and Keith Lee and Dustin Rhodes will speak. And the next week, we've got the Casino Battle Royale, and Hook is reinstated to take on an opponent of Stokely Hathaway's choosing. Mm -hmm. And that's their go-home show for at least the go-home Dynamite. So they're live next week uh, at the Cow Palace for both Dynamite and Rampage going into the pay-per-view weekend. The guns come up, they approach Jared and Lethal, and the idea is that if we work together, we can get rid of the other two teams in the match so that it's just uh, the two of us uh, at the pay-per-view. And Lethal and Dutt were intrigued by this notion. So, and- you know, we have the, the final team remaining, and um, you, you had, uh, what is it, Bowens, like, mentioning the Forbidden Door last week. So I'm still waiting and, and maybe expecting, like, a team that, isn't just on the roster to take that final spot. Like I would have said maybe Aussie open would have kind of fit that role, but clearly I don't think that's the case right now. No, no, it would not seem, I mean, any teams could, that were in tonight's battle Royale. I'm sure we're going to have teams that are back next week. Like they don't have that right. deep of a tag division that they cannot put teams back in next week. John Moxley and evil Uno Moxley going for his 100th win and evil Uno Going for his 20th win in a row. Hmm. The big streak that is uh, taking the wrestling world by storm. Yeah. Uh, Hangman is shown watching in the back, and uh, Uno hits a senton off the top to the floor, and then Moxley sends him into the steps, and this busts open evil Uno. And, dude, this guy was leaking blood through his mask. It's He's getting nailed with uh, cross faces in the ring, but Uno comes back with a pair of pile drivers, gets a two count, and you just see the blood pouring out of his mask. It was a lot of blood. It was, yeah. Um, you know, for some reason, like seeing somebody bleed through a mask is maybe even more terrifying because um, if if the guy like bleeds enough to so that you <laughs> you can see it behind a head cover, like you know it's a lot. Well, John Moxley had a uh, anything you can do, I can do better type of uh, reaction to all of this because um, first he applies a choke, turns it into the bulldog, and dude, the blood is spilling out of Evil Uno's mask and all over Moxley's arm. I mean, it was just so much blood here. And Uno fights back to his feet out of the bulldog choke, but then Moxley sends him back down, chokes him out in 6.15, and Moxley won't release the choke, prompting John Silver and Alex Reynolds to run down, stopping Moxley, to which Claudio and Yuta join in on the attack. Hangman runs down to assist the Dark Order, and Paige brings out barbed wire that he wraps around his fist and nails John Moxley, who delivers a gusher of his own as he uh, retreats from the ring. And we get this close up of this man who looked like he needed a blood transfusion by the end of this as well. So if you love blood, this was the six and a half minute match for you. Yeah, I guess so. Um, 
I like blood. I don't know if I if I love oh. blood. At this point, it's really becoming a bit of a cliche, you know. When it's I, squirting, I mean, that's that's where you are testing the limits of people's stomachs. I think the intensity and like sort of like the setting um, called for Evil Uno to be bleeding. I thought it was completely pointless to have John Moxley bleed again. I mean, it's just a it's a cliche at this point. But you would have missed it. It's only the closing shot of the show yeah. where you see the up close. Like you wouldn't have even noticed if you missed that last shot of him. I thought it had nothing, honestly. But I mean, the guy, you know, loves this. He he loves bleeding. So whatever, good <laughs> good for him. I I was a little disappointed in the match, you know, considering I think how fired up some of these promos were. I was expecting like a big memorable, like maybe even career making sort of outing from a, an evil Uno. And I don't know if this match got cut short, but like I don't think we received that big near fall or like that big moment to showcase evil uno but you know the closing visual here i thought was you know as intense as i think it needed to be yeah i thought that this dynamite was uh below usual standards i really enjoyed cassidy and wheeler yuda i thought that was tremendous i would recommend that match highly um just hearing like the update on the on the mjf thing like i think that that promo is so much better if the announcers clue you in on like what's going on? I just don't think anyone that would have reg that would have to me had so much more emphasis if the uh, like I don't think anyone would have put all of that together. How would they? I didn't know, and I I thought it came across perfectly, like effectively, you know. Um, and I I don't know if that's the sort of material that like the announcers would like would want to announce on behalf of MJF, just even even if it meant. But he's announcing it. Essentially, he's, he's making reference to it, but like he's not necessarily um, he's not telling you that like he's opening up to interpretation. It could be a character thing that he's making up or it could be his real life. Like, I just I still just don't know if that's the place for the announcer to announce it. And again, I thought it was effective even without knowing that it was real. I think there is such a way that he is taking a real life uh, loss and he's still twisting it into affecting his opponent for a pay-per-view by using it as so that's what he did material yeah but, but the I, only I, only element is that you didn't have excalibur announce he's actually uh, broken up his engagement you know i just felt like it would be out of place i don't think there's anything wrong with just the announcers reacting that you know there's we we have heard behind the scenes that his recent fiance his relationship has ended but that was not for us to speak about but mjf has now shared that like I just think that it's I, th I think there was a way to do it that it's just um, becomes more 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 clear uh, to people. But I mean, the news is out. So I, I enjoyed it despite that. Any other thoughts on Dynamite? Yeah, I mean, in ring, maybe on paper, more, more importantly, I don't think this was a, all that special of, of a card. Um, but I did come out of it really, really like glad I got to see Orange Cassidy versus Wheeler Yuta, which is a match I, I thought was, um, really strong in terms of storytelling. And the rest of the show was, yeah, maybe a bit more of a passable rampage. Um, I thought the MJF Brian Danielson segment turned out pretty well. Um, and Revolution, you know, is, um, it's, I, I feel like, you know, we, we need to see the whole card because um I don't know if Starks Jericho right now is all that strong. Let's go through the the card right now. So we've got Danielson versus uh MJF, which I think is being built, you know, pretty well. Wardlow versus Joe. Um the hair like explanation I thought was really strong, and I think the match itself will be pretty heated. Um yeah, yes. I'm I, I think they've done well with that. 
Um, Saraya, Hater, and Soho, I, I think it's probably the weakest program, um, thus far on the show that's featured consistently. Mox versus Page, I think is, is very good. Um, Jericho and Starks, bit more on the, on the weaker side. And then you have the tag team defense right now with Jared and Lethal versus the Guns and the Acclaimed and, uh, whomever. So. And the um, Elite against House of Black. Oh, for Revolution. You're right. Yeah. So, yeah, that's actually pretty strong. Like when you throw in, especially that trios match. So. Which I can't imagine what the match to, like that's seven matches with one of them being 60. So mm-hmm. I don't know how much bigger you need this show to be. And I'm not complaining, like for all we talk about of all the people that want television time and such. I mean, every match here has a story building it up. Like your, um, interest in those stories might differ. Um, but there are stories attached to all of this. Um, and I, I, I think a more compact, it, this is not going to be compact time-wise, but match-wise, I think it's, um, I prefer this over your 12, 13 match card. I think, I think Tony will still shove in like four more matches in there. Like Jade doesn't have a match yet. Um, <laughs> like somebody, they'll, they'll do something. N- none of these are going on the buy-in, so you can expect right. buy-in matches on top of this. So that's sure. probably at least three more matches. So that, mm-hmm. that's up to 10 if you're, if you're going by, by that, uh, that like plus you got Christian and Jack Perry. If that ends up on the pay per view, that's a potential match. Yeah. So like, I mean, it it could end up with more. Sure. On paper, like I think it's it's a good looking card, and I'm sure like the week of we'll really analyze this card and say, okay, like I'll I'm in, I'll watch the show. But like it, the product itself feels a little bit cooler, you know, and, and than usual, and and maybe it's because WWE uh, with the Bloodline Sammy angle is so hot, and, and we're heading to WrestleMania season, but um. I I don't know. I don't hear the buzz, you know, that I usually do around a pay-per-view. Well, just remember, the week of is next week. Yeah, yeah, I know. Just crept right up. All right, feedback time. We will also uh, make time for any super chats uh, if you send them our way. We have a, a bunch of feedback here on the forum. But how do you want to start? Uh, let's go to forum.postwrestling.com for some of your thoughts. Benjamin writes, when Moxley's in the main, someone get the med kit out. It's going to be a bloody night. I actually like the MJF Danielson segment this week. It's nice to see some continuity and logic. So next thing, w, what is with AEW's women's storytelling? Yeah, well, this is the story that, um, you know, Way stated that he thinks is is the weakest one. Um, this originals versus sci- or former WWE talent, I don't know if it is connected in a big way. I can't say I disagree with Soraya being in a heel role that it fits her a bit better. Um, but Tony Storm, it's, uh, it, it just feels to me as though it's, a. We didn't get a solid turn from Tony Storm and she, her and Britt Baker are now kind of the background figures, at least for this pay per view cycle. Yeah. 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 But the problem is not Soraya being a heel. That's, that's a positive. It's, it's first of all, the way they got there. Um, the lack of a real kind of like, um, nuance that they use to, to execute the turns, how overtly heal they've been and some perplexing spots, like, you know, pretty, and a pretty embarrassing, stupid one from last week, um, that I think have completely ha- hampered it. I also think that, like Jamie Hader's presence as a lead has been diminished as a result. I think the Ruby Soho, is she uh, with the originals or with the, New blood or whatever you want to call them. I think that's been really poorly executed. So I don't, I don't know what it is. I don't know if there's any sort of different, um, creative mind that's in charge of these particular storylines than, you know, let's say Brian and MJF or Mox versus Page, uh, could come down to the performers themselves, like maybe not, not having the best ideas. Um, uh, but 
it's not been good this this cycle and they've had good women's stories in the past um but not for this one let's go to johnny sanchez who says so i so love the oc versus yuda match could the bcc be turning a bit more heelish would give them a new spin um i think it depends on the program you know i I got that vibe by the end of it like you certainly felt like claudio yuda any and moxley like you certainly had that um that dancing's the biggest baby face on the show yeah, but he's not attached to them in this angle. Yeah, I I, w- I would say it depends on their opponents. Um, like in this ma- in this feud against Page, who would you say is the heel, Mox or Page? I think at the end of tonight, you're leaning more towards like Moxley in this role. Yeah, perhaps. Yeah, but they can go back to being a babyface. You know, the w- next week if they really wanted to. Uh, he says Elite versus House of Black is going to rule. Kind of wish it was just Ruby versus Hater, but eh, gotta keep the story going. And man, it might have been short, but I thought Evil Uno shined in that time. My big question, does All Access really solve the not enough TV time for this massive roster problem? While yes, there is a third hour on Wednesday now, most of it would mostly be given to talent that are already getting TV time. Yeah, I mean, it's, you just look at the press release, like it's going to be, you know, key stars that are featured. Eddie Kingston, though, like is not a usually featured person. He's going to be on this. So the goal should be presenting people in different ways and getting, um, you know, different aspects of your best personalities across. And let's be honest to this show, you want to make this work. Like this is, uh, this is Warner Brothers greenlighting an hour of content for you and with the hopes that this is this is a hit for you. Like you want to load it up with with your stars like this should not be an hour where we're following around sky blue. Yeah, exactly. You know, it's 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 another way for AEW to uh, receive more brag, rec- recognition and to earn more trust from Warner, you know, ahead of these uh, TV renegotiations. So. I tell you, if the first episode was the locker rooms, like the fallout of All Out, um, that would <laughs> grab people. It would. Um, I think it would be awesome. I just, you know, because the cameras would have been, the, the cameras were around before that, were they not? Like they were filming the show before that were they not I believe so yes i don't know but uh, hey man with like how you know um silent tony has been publicly do you really think they would go there it's for it's for your benefit for this show like how do you explain like if but you're aren't feeling, there legal like, aren't there legal things what, that they can't get what, into what legal things I don't there's know. no lawsuits not yet well, I, well i'm just going by what tony's to, explanation to, to for Aero hawani uh, you know well, this is this is for your television, for your product, and it's. I mean, to me, it's like it's not illegal for us uh, for talent to react to what happened. Honestly, and, a whole series about like the brawl out, I think would would be wonderful. But it's brawl, like that's, brawl that's the kind of content that your fan base wants. Like, if you yeah. were told that hey, that's going to be addressed on this show, you're making this appointment viewing. Yeah. And if it's and if it's not, if it, if it's just sort of a mix of work and shoot and it's closer to what you got from roads to the top well guess what there's going to be an interest the first week and it's going to precipitously fall each Mm -hmm. each week so anyway we will see what it is like we haven't seen it so you got to judge what the product is that they present to you very quickly rob mcdonald sends a super chat to say this weekend is the real main event cocaine bear yeah, I saw a bunch of ads for it. It's like I'm going for the novelty of it. My friends really want to see it. I I can't say it's um. Well, we'll, we'll see. I'm I'm curious enough to see it. I look but forward I, to your your review on Monday. Yes, yes, we will we will chat. Uh, I'll chat about Cocaine Bear and Way's going to say Quantum Mania. Mm. 
We'll see who's more satisfied. Peter Forsberg, the legend from the Avalanche. I've been a longtime AEW fan, but this has uh, been a couple of rough episodes in a row. So sick of Jericho and his theme song. Him and everything that JAS touches has been so stale. The main event was not good. Uno has go-away heat for me, and Moxley almost went a whole segment without bleeding. Are you guys hyped up for Revolution? On a positive note, love your content. Well, thank you, Peter Forsberg. Uh, Number 21. Yeah, 96 Stanley Cup winner. <laughs> um, yes, well, Mr. Forsberg... Um, I think Revolution will be a very good show. Am I hyped for it? Um, no, I wouldn't say I wouldn't say I'm hyped for the show. Um, even though mm. I look at it as a very good show on paper, uh, all AEW pay per views are great on paper. Um, <laughs> like, is there something that, that that's so special about this particular show that I think elevates it that much more above a, a typical edition of Dynamite? Um, there is, but not to the level of previous shows. And I wonder if, if, if we're still feeling that CM Punk effect of, of him not being there. And probably another pay-per-view that's not going to top the prior years. Revolution last year, it had Punk and MJF and Hangman Page against Adam Cole. And that it did very well for them. And I, I can't sense uh, 10 days out there, 11 days that this, this show is going to outdo last year's revolution. They they would need a really big week next week, but to me, MJF and Danielson, it's been a fine program uh, for for the build it has. It promises to probably be a great match as well, uh, but to me, to me, it has not hit in terms of um, a marquee big main event that's going to do you know big big business for AEW on pay per view. Like it feels like like a fine first title defense for MJF. Um, but I would I would say Danielson does feel cooler than when he came into AEW overall. Uh, like that first initial blitz when he's coming in, that I think him challenging for the title would have been so red hot as a pay per view program against whoever the champion was. Hmm. And is that a problem like, then? Like, with like the go back to like theoretically, the more TV time you have to tell, uh, you know, to put a, a Brian Danielson in the spotlight, he should be hotter. What well, what does that tell you? Yeah, I, I guess you can, you can look at just where, like you're watching this, like the audience is behind him, but like, am I on my own here? Do you, do you sense differently? Like, I just don't feel like if you were to do, and granted, some of that is like the newness of Brian Danielson, but when he faced Kenny Omega, uh, at Grand Slam, had they put that on pay per view? I feel like that would have just been a huge match as Danielson's first match in, even his first couple of months in going for a title on pay per view Mm -hmm. that, um, you know, maybe he will prove us wrong and, and we're underestimating his drawing ability because he hasn't been put in a chance, in a position to carry a pay-per-view like this one with MJF. Yeah. I think the promos have been good, but like, um, the story has had several chapters and it almost feels like it's, it's something different every single week. So I was glad that Brian gave us a bit of a reset by kind of recapping all the elements that have gone into this storyline so far. But, you know, maybe going more to your point, John, earlier in your criticism of this MJF thing, he's sort of been introducing different things almost every single week. You know, for one 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 of those weeks, it was like him getting into a darker side of himself. Remember that? Like for a couple of weeks, he was like suggesting getting into a different MJF, like almost mm-hmm. like, yeah, like and I don't know if that's still in play or not, like. Last week, it, like we've had the arm story, and this week now it's about you know psychologically attacking him um, with his children. So it, it it's been. You know, a it lot. also seems like he is making a very concerted effort that none of his stuff is going to be taken as an opening for the audience to cheer him. Which, to his credit, they are not. 
Like this is a guy that has become such a great heel that it's hard to stay a villain. But he is doing that with these promos and going into all of this territory that mm-hmm. um, yeah, it seems designed to make you uncomfortable when he's talking about like ending his life. Um, what, what, what's been better for you, this this program, NJF and Brian or NJF and Mox? I would say MJF and Moxley. And what was different about it? Because I don't think you got much out of Mox in that program. Like it felt like a, a kind of a disjointed program in a way. Because- I, th- I think you had the idea of MJF as this breakout baby face that could come out of this. And if, if there's anything to learn from WWE right now, it is the difference between a company that has red hot baby faces um, that are chasing or, uh, and are, are going for that. I, would not put Danielson in that that level of mm-hmm. where a Cody and a Sami Zayn are, and I certainly believe MJF could have been uh, if they had made that decision to go so, in the babyface direction with MJF. So is it more a problem with I think the level of you know character and that Brian Danielson is? I don't think anyone sees Danielson as the guy that is going to be unseating MJF or is going to be that babyface to end this. And that's a combination of this is early in MJF's run. And I think it's also just that timing of Danielson. Like, I wouldn't be making that choice, like, for Danielson to – there was a time I would have put the belt on Danielson. And maybe it was when Punk left and they did that tournament last summer and we were talking about Danielson as the replacement. But at this moment, like, I just don't feel – the Danielson run. And I think that that sort of tells people like they're not, I don't sense a clamoring for Mm. Danielson to finally win this AEW championship. Like I I don't get that sense at all. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Um, and I, I, I still feel like, I think Danielson obviously is like, he's legendary. And I think the Iron Man stipulation is really like his, it's his ability to like really kind of showcase something that, you know, um, very few I think can pull off, and I I I don't recall the last time I've seen a Brian Danielson Iron Man match. Um, did he ever have one in the WWE? In WWE, I mean, he did that Rumble where he uh, lasted uh, the, right. the length, but, but to Iron me, Man like match that itself, you this this to me back. this to me is the hook. You know, is to see like Brian Danielson and MJF wrestle for an hour. But as a character, like I still wonder if he truly fits in an AEW type of storytelling when promos are really just so strong, you know, up and down this card between like a Mox and a Kingston and an MJF. I don't know if Brian has been at that level. Like it's still one of his weaker aspects. Um, or maybe he just hasn't found the right character because he's had, he's delivered great promos in, in the past. He did deliver a, a few great promos as a part of this feud, but it, it, it seems like it's, it's a far cry from like, you know, obviously a punk or even, a page, you know, a level type of um, speaking role. Okay. And, and this number will, this last point is just this number will also show people if an Iron Man stipulation where you are advertising in advance, it's going an hour, if that's going to turn some people off. And if that's the difference between uh, 120,000 buys and 145,000 buys, like if certainly you would think that a higher percentage of AEW viewers, that's a hook. But is there a 10% amount of those fans that you're telling it, – it's fine to go an hour, but I don't want to know in advance that this is going an hour. I have to say I feel like they've really understated that aspect in this entire build. You know, um, Like when we talk about like WrestleMania 12, um, so much of the that was built on like Sean just like working out. Training and, videos. And, yeah, getting getting to good cardio shape. And, and this feud has been about a lot of things. You know, yes, the arm injury, I'm sure, is going to play into, into, into everything. But, um, 
I think it's fine to get into like I enjoyed tonight's promo where he got kind of gotten you know psychologically in, in, into Brian, but um, the thing you should be showcasing the most is you know challenging whether or not Brian can go an hour, and maybe that's what the arm story was supposed to be. But I I almost forget that this is an Iron Man match, and I I wonder if 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 that's if that could be you know hammered home a bit more. Okay, let's go to Sean from Albany who says this was a bit of a mixed bag of an episode. Hot match to start. Main event was fun, if a bit excessive with the blood. Orange Cassidy has been on quite a the run of matches as of late. What is going on with the women? The booking here is approaching Sammy Guevara versus American top team levels of disorganization. Just nuke everything from orbit at this point. Bring back one of the women who has been off of the TV, like Nyla Rose, and let's focus up the story. Any story. Homegrown versus freelancers doesn't have a logical end unless it is blood and guts. And now that blood I think about guts. it, I want to see that. Um, I don't think that's God. where this is going towards. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't see it either. I don't like who would who would be in. I I just yeah I don't I it, I don't think that's happening. No, it seems to be a common uh, critique is the uh, the women's program going on. And uh, Roman from Chattanooga will also weigh in. An up-and-down episode helped by a great crowd. Yuta and Cassidy put on a hell of a match, but unfortunately the rest of the night was fairly formulaic with each feud doing just enough to push us towards revolution. While I'm interested in the new AEW show, I wish Tony Khan would chill with the super mega earth-shattering announcement. I mean – he said he had a big announcement. They're announcing a brand new program. It's like, I understand there's going to be the criticism of building up announcements, but this is what you're doing as a promotion. It's making it a big deal. It's, um, um, you want to make something, um, you know, an extra hour of content, um, that they're getting is, is not nothing. It would be also hopefully a good, a good sign for their standing that they are getting yet another hour of programming. Yeah, I I think it was worthy of the Tony Khan huge announcement billing, this one. His question is, do you think Soraya is a net positive or negative for the women's division? I was intrigued when she first arrived, but she quickly became the female Chris Jericho, draining the push and heat from anyone she touches. At least Jericho can still put on a great match. I disagree with the comparison to Chris Jericho. I mean, there's no like Chris Jericho has undoubtedly been a net positive for this company. He was there. There is like no debate that yeah. he has been a, a gigantic positive for this company, whether Soraya, you it, like the guy or not. Yeah, Soraya has no like she just started. First of all, um, well, <laughs> it feels like she just started, but yeah, that was back in September, so she's actually been here for quite a while. Thus far, it, she's been a negative. Like, I've been sorely disappointed in her performances. I was very excited to see her come in, especially, like, knowing how good of a promo she is. I was expecting her to fit in, like, really well with the AEW style and maybe, you know, bring a level of star power and attention to this roster um, that hasn't had it. And I've been so disappointed with her promos uh, from the first one on. I've been disappointed in her creative vision for the character. Um, It feels like she just she's playing just... I don't know if she's putting that much effort into the creativity of like these stories. Um, maybe she, I'm sure she is, you know, she's been wanting this for, for a long time, but the execution just hasn't, hasn't hit at all, um, uh, with what they, she's been trying. So is it a and net? The, Sorry, go ahead. I'm just saying like the, the expectation is very high. Like television time is very hard to come by. So the ones that get, you know, prolonged week to week stories and exposure. This is a very discerning audience that, I mean, look at the bench, look how deep that bench is. And if you're on television, especially on the Wednesday show, 
people's expectations are high and they should be high. Like you as the mm-hmm. consumer, you have every right to uh, have high expectations because they are competing for your time and you are providing your time. So it's you have every right to be critical if it's not up to the standard that has been set and that you expect to have on a weekly basis as a as a viewer. There's nothing that forces you to watch this. You are volunteering your time. I, I certainly think like – Tony Storm has, is weaker now. She's a side character. You know, she's the sidekick in this sort of like inexplicable heel tandem between the two of them. And, uh, you know, this, this originals versus freelancers. Is that it? Freelancers. um, Sorry. Homegrown versus freelancers. Is, is that the feud? Uh, well, they're not freelancers. Yeah. They're not at all. So where, where did freelancers come from? I don't know. They're not. They'd be under contract. So. By very nature, I guess technically they're all what independent uh, contractors. That, anyway. that, that'll be the whole, uh, yeah, an independent. Though, though maybe maybe they have employee status that we're not aware of. The employees, they got special <laughs> contracts. They get health care. Okay, um, I'll do the last one here, John. It comes to us from Muggin, who says the opener with Yuta and Cassidy was strong. Everything else was hit and miss. Moxley almost made it through a match without shedding blood until after the bell rang. Am I alone in thinking that the use of blood in AEW is approaching diminishing returns? You're there was alone. too much tonight, like between yeah. Jack Perry and then you had the double blood in the main event. I, I'd agree. Tonight, there was too much. The Danielson Friedman pull apart brawl was strong, and the talk about head trauma, CTE, made it a little uncomfortable considering what Brian went through to get back in the ring. I think that's by, that was by that's design. The goal. Yeah. yeah. They want you to be uncomfortable and mm-hmm. and lean on what's real. Like that's what they're they're going for. Might turn some off, but that's like that's that's the goal. That is a hundred percent what they are trying to uh, elicit. Uh, great feedback tonight. Thanks to everyone for the the thoughts, the questions, and you for uh, tuning in uh, live here to rewind to dynamite. So to do a recap. Thursday, we've got two shows coming your way. Post Wrestling Cafe members will get MCU later with WH Park, Rich Fan, and Scrump, while me and Brandon Thurston are dropping an interview at 1 Eastern on both the WrestleNomics and Post Feeds with Lucas Middlebrook, labor attorney, as Way is going to uh, take notes on uh, associations, unions. I'll take mental notes. I, I've, I've loved your discussions about all of this stuff. Well, that's out Thursday, Friday night. Wei Ting will be joined by Kate from Montreal with Rewind to SmackDown as they talk side-by-side, face-to-face on the face-to-face and faces-to-faces on Rampage. So I look forward to uh, you two uh, having some FaceTime together on the show Friday night. Yeah. Um, yeah it's a who lot of we, uh, Kate from Montreal, who we got to meet in person for the first time this past weekend. That is correct. Yeah. And you know what? Like, it, was, it wasn't all that different, I, I feel, from – you know, no. Once you've done video shows with people, it's kind of seamless when you meet them. Kind of, yeah. It's just way better, like quality um, cameras, I guess. And then Saturday, John Ceno and I, no surrender post show as we will go through that card. That will also be out for post wrestling cafe members. The NWA podcast is coming your way this Saturday night. Andrew, Nate, and Chris getting together to solve all the wrestling world's problems. And then Sunday, WrestleNomics Radio coming your way. So check out all of those great shows at postwrestling.com. You can also jump on board video.postwrestling.com that gives you access to our beautiful faces for all of our cafe shows and everything in between. Video.postwrestling.com and and shout out to Waiting's Backyard. Beautiful. A 10 out of 10 backyard. Shout out to John's driveway. I hope um I hope 
you get your parking spot back. Thank you. On that note, we are going to sign off. Goodbye.